and welcome to the DMs Book Club, a podcast where we read about some Dungeons and Dragons and then discuss how we might include that in our role-playing campaigns. So hi, I'm Mira, everybody, my first time hosting today, <laughs> and I'm with the amazing Fiona of, from... Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, from the very average Fiona? Is that better? Hey, from- I'm sure, I, I don't want to... <laughs> <laughs> what am I rolling podcast, who's mm-hmm. going to be my guiding hand as she's much more experienced at this kind of thing. How are you doing today, Fiona, in the realm of reality? You know what? I'm doing better for seeing you. Uh, it's, I think I think we've got to that point now where it's, it's nice just to chat to people about stuff that is not work-related. I mean, in the darkest times, it's really lovely to kind of catch up with you and just talk about a hobby that we both love. Exactly. And especially to wake up on a Sunday morning, which is when we're doing this. Mm-hmm. I know that this will be like a really positive start to the day, talking about love, and then we can go on and have a really lovely Sunday. Today, we're talking about a topic that you've chosen as well. So could you introduce the topic of the day and tell us why you chose it? I will. So the topic I've chosen today, we're actually going back a little bit into the Monster Manual, and we're going to look at dryads. Most people, I think, have come across dryads when playing in their role-playing campaigns, because it's usually a tree-like creature that's very protective of the forest. And what I found really interesting is that there's not much in terms of D&D lore or like about them because they are described as sort of fae spirits that have been binded to trees by the fae for falling in love with humans which feels very greek mythology you know that sort of thing and what I found really interesting is that they're always described as feminine forms and I don't know if it's just me but that idea of like being punished for falling in love with someone that you shouldn't. It always seems to be something for women. It's never men <laughs> that get punished and get stuck in trees. <laughs> yes, yeah. Um, if Zeus looks at the wrong person, they'd end up turning into a swan or a deer. It's always the ladies that suffer. They always get put as a plant thing, which, as we'll probably talk about, it isn't necessarily a bad thing. They are described as sort of neutral characters. And I know, I know, obviously, in the new releases of books, you know, alignment doesn't mean anything. But I like the idea that these creatures, this race, as it were, is punished for loving too much or breaking the bonds of society. So I thought we could just have a chat about dryads and, like, like I don't know about if you've had any experiences with them or anything like that. <laughs> For me, I've always come across them as they are protectors of the forest. They are one with nature and they sort of fly at the first sign of violence to their trees because obviously that's the sort of big part of them is that they are bound to their trees and they can go throughout the forest. But if something happens to their tree, then their own sort of physical form will sort of deplete and be destroyed if the tree is destroyed. So that sort of connection to something that is a physical thing that can be harmed. I feel that's quite an, a powerful, like an interesting sort of storytelling device. I mean, my relationship with dryads takes me back to when I was, I think I was 12 or 13 and I went to an all-girls school and they realised I wasn't up to doing Latin. So they put me on to learning classics, which is fine because classics is just D&D, basically. Um, yeah. There's a god and magic can happen. And there is an early... I have looked this up. This is not from my memory. There's a third century Greek work called the Diphenophosophistae. That's how I would pronounce it. So, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Within that, you get these descriptions of the dryads. And, you know, one of the uh, things that I looked up this morning was something called the Hammer Dryads, which was eight dryad daughters of the forest spirit 
Oxylos, and Oxylos's name means of the forest. Mm-hmm. And the eight nymphs each presided over a specific type of tree, which I just thought was so magical. Oh, that's cute. Yeah, so cute, so cute. So Aegyros was the one who had black poplar. Ampelos had the vine, including the wild grape. Carrier was a nut tree and, you know, and so on and so forth. So it's been this really lovely kind of tied back, as you were saying, they're tied to their trees. So I just thought that was really lovely that you could have a specific dryad for a specific tree. Going back to what we said in the previous episode when you were co-hosting, that idea of like adding more flavour to stuff, because again, the picture in the D&D Monster Manual is very beautiful of dryads. Again, very leafy hair, bark-like skin, the greens and golds and stuff. I love the idea, like tying it to specific trees, actually sort of describing that. So like obviously an elm tree is very different to an oak tree. Having that texture of the hair and stuff like that, describing that, that would be so cool. Add that flavour to it. You could, you've even like, you sprouted an idea in me. I've just twigged. Oh, sprouted (laughs) and twigged. Wow. (laughs) Branch out together. Um, But like you could even like have a campaign where if you assist a certain type of the dryads of the cherry trees, how are the dryads of the hazelnut trees going to feel about that? And it could be a whole kind of subclass kind of thing mm. going on. The other thing I wanted to talk about today was poetry, if we may. Mm, go for it. Okay. Um, because for me, when I was little, poetry, again, was a really magical place. So in real life, you know, you'd have your books by Enid Blyton and the magic faraway tree and stuff. And I, we had poetry from my gran and my dad. And there are a ton of like really famous poets who love nature and the dryad comes up time and time again. So Walt Whitman, who famously, you know, naturific, has a beautiful poem that mentions them. And interestingly, Alistair Crowley, um, Mm. you know, kind of dark spirit of England has one. He has this poem about a wizard's walk and the dryads that you come across. Shall I slice out a bit? Of- I, I'm waiting for you to, to perform in a way, but please do. Yes, I've never, I, again, that idea of someone walking and having sort of like almost like Narnia-esque, that sort of like the trees changing and stuff around you. Yeah. So, Alistair Crowley's poem, The Wizard Way. And obviously Alistair Crowley, you know, kind of almost a very sinister type character. So he's describing this, imagining, I guess, this walk of like a magical creature or something. So look at the levers, fern frail fronds of fantastic diamonds glimmering with ethereal azure in each exquisite embrasure. embrasure. Sorry, bad speaking. Same, so don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> On the shaft, the letters laced as of dryads lunar chased with the satires were embraced. Spell the secret of the key, sick Pervenaeus, and he went his wizard way into weaving dreams of things beyond believing. So oh, wow. a little bit of like getting the dryads and the satyrs together. Mm. The little bit of lore that I found out about them is that dryads work with other sylvan creatures. So unicorns and satyrs and treants as the other ones. So ents in general. We'll go back to Peter Jackson hammering on the door asking us for money. But yeah, that, that idea that, again, it's been a long time since I've walked in a forest, but there is definitely something magical about going deep into a forest and looking up and having the whole, the canopy sort of mm. with lights spilling through. It does feel like you've gone to another place. And obviously with the Feywild as well, it's described as this sort of magical place, which when you enter or when you leave, you're not entirely sure if you were ever there. And yeah. I, I just, again, that's why I feel with Dryas is that you only glimpse them. Like It's like that sort of thing where they will be seen if they want to be seen. Mm. And one of the other things going on to them 
they are curious creatures. If they're struck by someone who is beautiful to them, they will go investigate and then might try and draw them back and charm them so that they will stay with them. And I just thought, oh, wow. That's sort of that idea of being so curious that you're like, I want this. It's a bit like a Little Mermaid in a way, like Ariel, I always thought. And being of different worlds. And I think there is something magical about the thought that, you know, we have a very fleeting life as humans. And then these trees you know, they can stand for hundreds and hundreds of years. Mm. They've seen, you know, humans come and go. And I really love the kind of the spirituality of the trees that, you know, I try and walk in forests as much as I can. I am a self-confessed tree hugger. Yes, I think. I find a tree and I kind of hug it so my heart is against the trunk and then I can feel my heart beating against the trunk of a tree. I can't explain it like in words, you know, how that experience kind of lifts me but it just feels like very close to nature and just embracing part of the woodland which kind of gives you so much solace and serenity when you walk through it Mm -hmm. I love the idea that there are these guardians of the trees and I think it's extremely um considering like the kind of world we're living in now and so much of younger generations really want the world to be motivated to look after our environment Mm. have these creatures and I think quite often in literature and certainly fantasy realms if you attack the dryads trees then they're going to come after you you know and that whole kind of class of like you know i love that in dnd we have whole realms that i mean i suppose you know you could unfairly call them the hippy dippy kind of realms but you know hmm. you have druids you have rangers you know who are very much aligned to nature and powered by nature mm-hmm. you know you have a natural magic but also that you have creatures that will defend nature. And even, I guess, the elves, you know, we were talking about elven cuisine being very, very vegetarian, you know? Mm. So I just really love how, I mean, I guess we see it through the lens now of, like, living in industrial, built-up, polluted earth. Mm. And classes like, you know, rangers and druids are very protective of the planet. And then I love that, you know, we have this whole kind of, monsters that are things like unicorns and dryads that represent that you do get those stereotypes the hippy dippy stuff there's always stereotypes that are negative but they always come to the forefront but i think with dryads from the brief bit it talks about them you can make it so that there's another side to them so um you have uncaged i don't know if you've heard of those series of adventure modules that's come out so in the last year or two there was a big community effort to do more adventures which featured female or female presenting monsters but in a different light and they're called the uncaged anthology and actually our mutual friend chloe wrote one of the adventures for it and that particular adventure is called the night's watch it's incredibly straightforward you were part of this little town there's a creature that attacks one of the guards in the night and you are asked to go find out what it is and what it turns out to be big spoiler by the way (laughs) is that this town guards have found out that there is a dryad living in the woods and the tree is a beautiful multicolored almost like rainbow type tree and they think there's something magical about it and that they want to capture this creature and sell it for a big price because there is a monster hunter in town but this dryad is in a relationship with a harpy and anything that attacks the tree this harpy comes down and hurts them so now on the second night they're going to go out and find some but they're trying to keep it a secret from the head warden and from you the adventurers and again it's just seeing that different side of it it sounds like oh well this creature has attacked one of the guards we have to go and find it because it could really hurt the rest of the town and actually these creatures just want to be left alone 
yeah. to be in their relationship in this beautiful tree. And so yeah, I, I highly recommend looking at the, all the Uncaged anthology, but certainly it's like promoting your friends, but like Chloe's Adventure of the Night's Watch, when I played that through as a playtester, it was really cool to have it suddenly to have that realization like, oh, <laughs> we're the bad guys. <laughs> So if you were going to play a dryad, say, either as a DM or mm. if you were going to make a character that was a dryad, how do you think a dryad would sound? What kind of voice acting would you do? Whoa. Oh, this is great. I get to talk about me. Uh, no, um, I have played a dryad once or twice before. There was oh, like... Yeah, tell us the story of your dryads. Again, it was one of those things, again, on D&D Beyond, every week or so there is like the encounter of the week that was written by people. And there was an example called The Last Unicorn or something like that, which again, I'm sure you would have loved, Mira. It was a, it was a puzzle. And the idea is that this, this unicorn had accidentally drunk from the stream and was dying and you had to solve the puzzle in mm. enough time, otherwise it would die and then come <laughs> back as a nightmare. One of those, un yeah, I know. <laughs> And suddenly Mira's like, no, no, they can't die. <laughs> um, but I changed it because I, I, it's a little puzzle that you can put in anywhere. So I put it into this, uh, I created like a Christmas one shot for our friends at Powerword Roll. So with Naomi, I had this idea of a conservatory where everything was dying and a dryad was in there, like a dryad sort of gardener and stuff. But they too, their tree had been drinking from this well or this fountain or something, which had the problematic like potion in or whatever it was. And Coming to it, I, again, maybe stereotypically, was a bit floaty, I think. It was just like, sort of like, really elongating stuff, taking time and being sort of otherworldly. I think I based it on, I imagined like a jellyfish, you know, with sort of suspended in it and sort of the way the hair was, I described it as sort of like, it was sort of up and sort of floating a little bit or taking its time to sort of gently go back into place. We get a sample? A sample, of course. Uh, I'm just trying to think what she said now. <laughs> That's the thing. Um, she was quite breathy as well. She was dying. So. <laughs> um, she was smart, like, you must, you must see what it's like in the, in the fountain. Is yeah, stuff like that. I wish, I wish I had the puzzle right in front of me to tell you. But I think now, though, because again, reading it through and finding out, because again, we we talk about this a lot nowadays is that love is just love. You can love whoever you want. Mm -hmm. That idea that you are being punished for loving something you shouldn't or somebody you shouldn't mm -hmm. feels very against what a lot of people are saying. So I just, that's why I'm thinking to myself, well, would these fake creatures be angry at being trapped in the trees? What they're doing is they think is, you know, I, I don't know. It was just, just something I thought like, some other being has said, no, this is not right. You're being punished. You're now going to be punished for it. And again, that idea that it's only, it's very feminine or feminine presenting. So I think, think in future, what I might do is try and have a whole range of different diverse, diverse casts of dryads. So, you know what you were talking about before about having like the cherry tree dryads mm. versus the, uh, the chestnut tree dryads. They would be not only look very different, but I think they would be uh, different genders or different presenting stuff yeah. and almost make it sort of like maybe develop its own cultures mm -hmm. so that, you know, like as humans have obviously different cultures and different ethnicities, I think I do the same for the dryads. So it's not always the feminine form that yeah longs to be with the, the very beautiful stranger who's probably a man and then charms them and they're like no we should kill them because they're charming you that sort of thing I get away from that and try and make it more of a, a society I guess yeah that sounds like fun I was reading a Terry Pratchett book I mean it must be in the last few days and he uses a word susurration and I think he's describing like the, the wind through the trees or something and it means 
whispering or rustling, the susurration of the river. And I just imagine this, the voice that you did very kind of breathy and whispering because the trees would be like shimmering. So thank you so much for doing <laughs> I love it when you do the voices. So any excuse to get them in. It's true. It's true. I don't do them enough. Obviously, when we've been doing our Pantheon one shots, I've had to each individual part of one shot. I'm like, oh, well, I've used that voice now. I'm going to have to come up with something else. Running out of voices. <laughs> with the dryad thing, mm. like, when I asked you why you picked this outside of the podcast, you said, well, I was going to choose unicorns for you, Mira, but then we thought that might be too on the nose. So one of the things I'd like to ask you is like, if you came to join my campaign, say, and I said, okay, here's your character sheet, you're playing a dryad. Would there be any kind of restrictions or things you wouldn't be so keen on playing? I mean, I guess one of the things I thought about was actually being tied to a tree. That might be quite restrictive and so, or, you know, only being able to be away from the tree for so long. Mm. Well, that's gameplay, right? That's, that's actually a really interesting question. I think because, again, it gets to the point that certainly with the um, release of Tasha's Cauldron of Everything, you can make it so that you have your own custom race. You just have to take the stats of a humanoid, essentially, and you can put them wherever you want. So it's now official, in quotation marks, that you could play a dryad. I think in terms of being tied to a tree, it could make a really interesting story thing. And it depends on if it's a one-shot or a whole campaign. So one-shot is fairly straightforward. You're like, oh, it's definitely taking place in your forest. Uh, <laughs> but there is something in the actual dryas itself is that you can tree strike. So you can move from tree to tree. So you are tied to a particular tree, but you can move mm-hmm. quite far away from the tree as long as, let me see what it says here. Yeah, so you can use 10 feet of your movement, magically step into a living tree within reach and emerge from a second living tree within 60 feet. So you could like skip through a forest quite quickly and then just walk out of it. Mm -hmm. But I think if anything happens to your tree, it even talks about you changing or going into madness, which again is like oh, typical. As soon as your thing's destroyed, you become a mad woman. Um, <laughs> but so being tied to a tree or the title point means you can have stuff for community links. So again, as I was saying before about having a, a society of dryads, maybe you have a whole forest of them and you want to get away. You're like, oh, I'm always there, but you always have a link back to home until something happens to your forest. And then you might have to shift back and go see what's going on the only other thing i would say in terms of being a dryad is i mean looking at the stuff that you could do quite quite a lot of stuff so you have innate spell casting you have entangled and shillelagh which mm. are your more attacking sort of spells you've got a few others which are more sort of like speak with you know plants animals that's always great for role play and stuff you also get magic resistance uh, so advantages on saving throws and other magical effects so you're pretty badass <laughs> early on we sort of mentioned it before. So with dryads, they have this fey charm. So you can look at a humanoid and they have to make a DC 14 wisdom saving throw or be magically a charmed, which lasts for 24 hours or until the dryad dies or is on another plane of existence or ends it as a bonus action. If you save, you're immune for the next 24 hours. So again, that could be a cool story thing where you just constantly had a really string of bad things happen to you because people just get charmed by you. But I think it's not something that you actively do it is something that someone looks at you and then again that might be for a one shot or there might be have to be some tweaking involved but i just like that idea that it's it's something that's not the fault of the dryad it is just something that other people do like so again i'm thinking of that sort of male gaze aspect they look at someone go i want to be with you like no go away (laughs) that's a pretty powerful 
a spell. I mean, you, I guess a, you could be a perfect... I mean, I love playing a bard. I love to try and persuade people to like me. And it's got to do with my deep-seated, like, attention issues and, like, codependency, obviously. <laughs> obviously. <laughs> but, um, if you could be a bard and a druid and have that power, mm. that'd be amazing, wouldn't it? You'd get a few followers. The way I'd see it is almost like a, a King Midas effect, you know, where anything he touched could turn to gold. But then it got to the point where people were getting obsessed with this being turned to gold, and then he accidentally turns his daughter to gold, and he's like, no, what have I done? And that sort of thing. So maybe reverse engineer that uh, sort of a, as a backstory. What about you, though? Would you, what would you do if you had to play a dryad or a unicorn? We'll put, in a, we'll put in a unicorn in there as well. Or a unicorn-type race. Like, would there be anything that would limit you to do that? One of the reasons I play D&D, and this is why I absolutely hate, I hate playing in parties where characters decide to be evil. One of my first DMs, Xander, from the Saturday meetups, they would run games where you could not play evil characters. It's because I need the escapism of potentially being in a party, very conventional, old school, you know, swords and sorcery. There's a big bad and we need to go and, and make things better. I love the idea of being part of a a race that is kind of been built with like you know very affiliated to nature and have powers to kind of restore mm. and finish right so there are a lot of destructive monsters like we talk about the gelatinous cube that is basically a glorified cleaner or um, <laughs> kind of leave a lot of distress and destruction so dragons will burn up the land and sear it with poison breath or fire so what would really appeal to me would be some kind of like earth quest or you know, the earth is dying. I don't know. This is a terrible series and I do not recommend anyone ever reads it, but the elf stones of Shannara, mm. for example, that story is all about this ancient tree that was kind of came into being to protect the world from demon darkness. And when the tree began dying, the demons started escaping. Mm. So I think those kind of campaigns where you can leave the world. Oh my God, I've just realized I'm quoting one of my company's mottos that I actually work for. I work for a company and our motto is leave the world lusher than we found it. Yes. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I love the idea, you know, sometimes I think I feel so powerless, you know, there's nothing I can really do against, you know, COVID, for example, I went to go and be in a vaccine trial because I felt so powerless. There's nothing I can do when politicians are negotiating us out of trade agreements to try mm -hmm. and isolate us. But in fantasy, you could be a dryad that could bring life back to a forest or go on a quest to protect it, be a, you know, a unicorn. You know, obviously, you know, when you think about unicorns and they have these magical horns and magical properties to heal things and people. Mm -hmm. I think the restrictions would be when you play characters like that, they can tend to become very worthy. Mm. Sometimes, you know, again, we could look back at the cleric as an example. When you choose a creature that's known for these restorative, nurturing nature properties, then you can get leaned on to be that. Mm -hmm. And then there's no space for being mischievous or fun or naughty or a little bit complex, you know? Mm -hmm. I mean, quite often I do try and, I try and play characters that genuinely are naive. Mm -hmm. So I don't ever have to play cynical or world weary because we have enough of that in real life. I had this in improv quite recently, actually, that we talked about playing bad or the villains of a scene. Mm. And people get worried because they're, they're saying, well, this is not who I am. Everyone's really nice in improv. And you're like, yes, we know. But obviously to have some sort of 
difference of opinion. Maybe you have to be harsher or you have to take a stand of something that you wouldn't agree with. Yeah. I think for me, definitely in role-playing games, and I've said this before on this podcast, is that I feel really bad when I make a bad decision in like a Telltale game or Dragon Age. There was one time where one of your potential allies in the, early on in the Dragon Age game, they're in a cage, they're being uh, court-martialed or something like that. And I'm like, okay, I'll be back for you. I just need to do this one thing. I go do the one thing. And of course that triggers the village oh. being overrun. Yeah. And I, yeah. And then I was felt so guilty that I stopped playing. Yeah. Uh, people can play whatever they want, but I think nowadays with the talk of alignment, it's making sure why you're playing is, I don't know, it's for the right reasons and that everyone's okay with it. Like if you think of, uh, we talked a little bit about this, Ravenloft. Ravenloft is basically Dracula. It is a very dark, grim, dark setting where bad things happen to people who it's out of their control. Yeah. Um, the idea is that you are fighting against the dark. You've gone to this, uh, this demiplane and the only way out of it is to defeat the big bad, is to defeat Strahd. But what's interesting is that it's, it talks about if some of the characters are evil and Strahd sees this and can sense there it's evil in the characters and will offer them for them to join him. The problem is, though, that Strahd is very egotistical and thinks no one can replace him. So if he thinks they would replace him, he will destroy them even worse than you would do normal good people. But it's that idea of just challenging the players, saying, okay, you're playing evil. Will you get this big offer to betray the rest of your party? Game recognises game. But going back to what you were saying about like how you'd play them, I guess, it's with that naivety or something like that, I think it's okay to have a world-weary <laughs> dryad. Oh, dryad. Yeah, like maybe like, um, oh, I can't remember what they're called that, but you imagine in uh, it Pocahontas, you have the, the woman in the tree, like the willow. I can yeah. just imagine like a slightly older dryad. Who's, that's the other thing as well. They're always seen as very youthful. Maybe we just want some older dryads. Like, he's just like, oh, for God's sake. And <laughs> Yeah, that we're like, yeah, what now? Since heroes, since you were this knee hard, it's funny. I like the idea that they've had to come along because they just don't trust these adventures. Like, I, I need to make sure you are doing the right thing. How lovely to have like an older dryad. They did get successfully woo a human. So the human builds a house with the tree in the garden. Mm. Morning, dear. Here's your cup of tea. You know, you're opening my mind. <laughs> Uh, was there anything about dryads for you that you're like, oh, oh, God, no, I wouldn't do that or anything like that yourself? Yeah, I mean, I guess my feeling would just be I would not want to be tied to a tree because <laughs> terribly, you know, adventures happen far away. And do you remember um, there are fairy tales where there's a big bad and their heart is like hidden in a chest on an island in a duck egg? So almost having that vulnerability of mm. like, you know, your essential focus, if you were away from your tree and someone attacked it, mm. like how scary is that? Like, so I think I would really, as a player, I would be very anxious the whole time. Like, how can I keep my tree safe? How will I be able to protect this? Mm. It would probably make me think twice about, well, first you'd have to trust someone to protect your tree or find a spell or something in order to let you leave your tree yeah, so that would stress me the F out. And mm. like, I guess it would take a little bit of my agency away. Um, although you did mention potentially you could make the game so it didn't have to be part of that. You can think about, like, say, in Guardians of the Galaxy, uh, obviously in the first one where Groot sacrifices themselves, but then there's a little bit of Groot left, so it starts to grow again. So you can always take a, uh, like a cutting <laughs> and take it with you. <laughs> you know, if you, if you were an acorn tree, then you can mm. take it with you and that represented your tree. Mm. Maybe that diminish your powers. 
and the the other thing again thinking about like being the children of a dryad and a human you're not necessarily you're bonded to your kin perhaps but not necessarily to a physical tree yeah i agree i think some people would find it like limiting limiting sorry i'd like it as a backstory element i think but i agree like you don't want to be constantly oh but what about home i'm going to check in you know like I think I would beef it up with a few more spells, perhaps more obviously flavorful spells that are protective, I think. Because again, a lot of them are sort of speak with animals, uh, uh, druid craft, all that sort of thing, which again, I think like you were saying before, it leans into that stereotype of like, oh, we're all just going to sit around and we're going to like have the, the solstice or something like that. But I think having stuff like you've got entangled and stuff, anything like thorn whip or something like that, like yeah. I'm thinking like proper like, uh, Pokemon sort of Venusaur types of razor leaf, like yeah, that sort of thing. That would be quite cool. And then I was just thinking about the other types. I don't know if D&D have just picked on Dryads, but you also have like in the world of classics, you have Dryads, you have Naiads, you have Nymphs, you have Satyrs, mm. and they're all very much tied to or based around nature, so trees or rivers. But you also get to play in D&D. And I was thinking, how similar are these? You can play Elementals. So how does that tie in and relate to, so you can be a water elemental, right? Or a fire elemental. Is that kind of like a similar thing? I don't know if, if you're an elemental, are you a magical creature? Are you a creature of nature? How does that all work? Hmm, are, you, are you talking about, uh, is it Gensai they're called? Yes. Yeah. No, I, 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 I don't know either. I've never really looked at them in much detail. No, I've only seen them played once or twice on stream. But I actually don't know much about the backstory. I assume it is similar yeah. uh, to an extent because they are more, from what I understand, they are obviously magic infused sort of spirits with like they can, uh, yeah, with water. So I again feel like it's very much like Avatar, you know, so yeah, the Airbender and stuff. So having something that is directly nature related, I don't think there is anything like that. That would be really cool actually to make it as that kind of spirit and and set it in stone as much as a against ir definitely that'd be really cool actually there is a, a big old stock of like you know like there's been so many heroes through the ages that like if you were really into nature you could pick from so many different classes and races now so both need to look into these genesi and see how natural they are and how magical they are hmm. Is there any like recommendations you would have of like looking up dryads? Obviously, you've talked about classics and you obviously did your poetry and stuff. But is there anything like any books or anything like that or, or TV shows you're like, oh, this is pure dryad stuff? I don't know. <laughs> My favorite website is called Poetry Soup. It's really, really cool because like you can find a poem for any occasion. Mm -hmm. And if you're like into like, you know, meditation or just chilling out, like part of meditation can be finding a poem to be uplifting. And if you look up dryads in, within poetry, there are so many dryad poems. But the beautiful thing about these poems is, and so often, you know, these famous poems, classicists, were really inspired by nature. And, you know, you can imagine them doing these readings to like more urban, you know, urbane city society types. And they were really lauded for bringing nature in. Mm -hmm. So if you're going to go hunting down dryad poems, go to Poetry Soup but it was just such a beautiful, beautiful moment to kind of completely put you into these long epic poems of like verse after verse about nature. Mm. And whether you read it aloud or you read it in your head, it does transport you to these magical places of nature, be it a wizard's path or be it a forest that, you know, a poet is exploring. Mm. So if you're looking at like a D&D &D campaign and you know there's going to become some kind of nature, spiritual dandy thing coming up, 
how nice might it be to find like a verse or of a poem or to read it to your players as they're kind of getting ready to immerse mm. them into the campaign. If you're looking for something forbidding or scary, you can find poems, you know, with just by Googling like dark, deep poetry, which will give you some really kind of sinister phrases to kind of switch in and out of moods. Mm. So that's my kind of recommendation with the dryads. Mm. I, I don't know that much outside of like, you know, learning about them through the actual classic stories, like, you know, when a Greek god got angry and turned somebody into a dryad. Mm. I don't know. I haven't got like, there aren't that many books that I know based around dryad characters. I would be really shocked if there wasn't some schlocky detective slash romance novel with a dryad detective, mm-hmm. because there's everything out there. Yeah, the only story I could think of that would be reminiscent of a dryad falling in love with a human or something like that would be um, Echo and Narcissus, where Echo is a spirit or a daughter of one of the gods and falls in love with Narcissus, who pays her no mind. And then Echo is punished by being turned into um, a snowdrop. No, that's not it. She's punished as to be heir to, to Echo Ran, and then Narcissus becomes a, a snowdrop, always looking at his reflection in the water. But the only the only one I was thinking of, like, characterization, because obviously I did a very sort of generic, oh, a bit willowy, a bit uh, air, breathy sort of thing. But the only one I could think of is uh, in She-Ra, the Princesses of Power, there is a character called Perfuma, whose yeah. power is, like, growing things as to play. And she's, I like her, because her characteristic is she's, like, she's very confident in her own abilities but she's like oh i'm so sorry that sort of like a <laughs> little bit of anxiety stuff but when she works with the other princesses is quite strong and is quite forefront about certain things as well and is very willing to defend her own kingdom as well as other people's kingdoms so i thought that would be quite a cool um way if you were meeting like say the leader of uh, a dryad is being like basing on perfumer would be the other thing i had in mind that's an amazing idea like i surely there must be some shira role playing as well because those characters are very cool. The other thing I was trying to think of, like, where else could you see dryads that aren't necessarily bound to forests? I've been in games where a dryad has been the head of the local apothecary. Yeah. Uh, who has been the local, like, head gardener of someplace. And I think just having them somewhere that's in nature, but also interact with the human world, but, like, the idea of, like, giving hints to it as they're making the potions as your adventurers are waiting and stuff like that, and having them in the settlement as working living people and having them with I say normal day jobs but normal jobs that are that are important for adventuring so I was like those would be quite cool maybe even having like having a tavern but then having the sous chef is a dryad and is seasoning them all and stuff like that oh I love that Fiona your brain is amazing <laughs> maybe you need to write dryad quest dryad quest <laughs> well we, we need to write a game and we want your help and <laughs> It's got to have a dryad in it. But I love that idea of a herbalist or an apothecary mm. because, yeah, I mean, how qualified would a dryad be? She could literally talk to the trees and be like, hey, can you heal this? Because I need some juice. Mm. Oh, I, that, that's, oh, what's it called? It's Fern Gully is the other idea I had. So obviously in oh, Fern Gully, there's that whole thing about polluting the forest and these fairies are trying to stop it happening. Again, that's you could take that whole story and put that as a, a dryad-inspired uh, adventure and having these um, types of triad uh, stopping it from happening and you as uh, the adventurer deciding which side you will be on if you've got a whole team of dryads that can move from tree to tree and can charm people and can, you know, hurt people, then that's quite a formidable force of a whole forest of them. Yeah, It'd be well, amazing. Look how, look how the Ent army saved the day. 
in Lord of the Rings. I mean, mm-hmm. get those trees going, you're in deep trouble. So, yeah, I love that. And I, I really think, you know, it ties into environmental issues that are going on now. You know, seeing the devastation of rainforests, which is like literally mm-hmm. the only thing keeping oxygen pumping on this planet. There's just such great reason to kind of inspire those ideas of conservation and environmentalism, but doing it in a way that's not holier than thou. Yeah, exactly. It is like restoring the balance, but it's for everyone's good. And it's not like, yeah, not, not martyring it. Although that said, I would love to see a smug dryad. So one of the things that you and I have coming up in Pantheon is we have an island called the Isle of Despondent Poets. Mm. So how lovely would it be if the reason for maybe one, some or all of them could be they've been rejected by dryads? This could be like... (laughs) Oh my God, amazing. There'd definitely be one or two despondent poets that had been like, just rode out to the island because they were like, I fell in love and she won't leave her tree. The flip side of it is that, oh God, I... They just kept coming. We just told, kept telling them, no, we're not interested. We've got our own thing going on. To go to the sheriff because stalking is not okay. <laughs> they can't come within 100 feet of my tree. That's. <laughs> I mean, there's something super appealing about that. Of course, it's a young woman, kind of a seat, beautiful, sylph-like figure. Um, there is something really beautiful about, you know, a pure spirit that embodies these beautiful, you know, trees and things like that. So you can see the appeal and you can see how, of course, they need to have fey charm and of course they need to be naturally charismatic. The main problem I we've identified maybe is the stereotyping of them as like very lovey-dovey creatures. So the ideas about making them salty or wise or adventurous. Mm. Yeah, just turning it on its head completely. And we'll always come back to this. Monsters is just a term I feel is just like, they're not the heroes of the story, as in like, they're not the players of the story. It doesn't mean they're evil. It doesn't mean they are something to kill, which is, again, a lot of D&D is like, it's you versus them. You've got to defeat them in some way. If you can't use your social skills, it's definitely through stabbing. And I just think that it's just making sure that dryads as a monster, they can be monstrous as a force and stop things from happening because they have the power of nature. But at the same time, I think it would be great to develop that sort of the culture and race that they are just like us. They're just like a a playable race. So I think that'd be really cool to see that in the future. I think more stuff about Feywild spirits or anything like that that can have a culture of some sort. And it's not necessarily from a negative thing. It's more of a, oh no, we're just born like this it's fine no you're really making me homesick homesick i don't know because i'm playing in a campaign at the moment a ravnica campaign Mm. we're deep in ragnos territory and ragnos are this basically insane murder clowns and it's all blood and we're in a really industrial area and there's gunpowder and explosions and sewers. I'm just thinking, I just want to play a sylvan unicorn daydream with dryads and poets wandering around. So maybe we're going to have to write that game, Fiona. That sounds that sounds like a project. I can't wait. Because <laughs> you have so few projects, Fiona. <laughs> Eyes wiggle. Like. <laughs> yeah. Sadly, time draws to a close. Um, but we'll end off by saying, Mira, do you have anything you want to plug? Any more poetry recommendations that we could find? I, I don't know. Is there anything like that? I think if you ever see a secondhand poetry book, buy it. But Poetry Soup is fantastic. It's mm-hmm. a great thing. 
for me, I've just set up a Patreon because I'm trying to bring more poetry into my life. I don't know if you could tell. I feel like I didn't mean to wedge it in with an agenda, but there's so much beautiful dryad poetry. Uh, so I'm doing a Patreon for my poetry. So if you'd like a poem a month just to cast you out of this reality and into another one. Yeah, I'm all over the internet as Mira Manga. Just one word. You can Twitter me or Instagram me or all those things. Mm. And how about you? What are you up to with your billion and one projects? When I don't have a billion and one projects, I run the What Am I Rolling podcast, a twice monthly RPG one-shot podcast. Uh, as always, it's doing really well. Uh, what have I done in the last last time I spoke to you, which was maybe yesterday? We won't know when the podcast comes out. Do you ever talk about, because like we spoke about your voice a little bit today, and I love your voices. Do you, how could people find you if they wanted to watch you do improv? So I'm not doing any improv just now. I probably will be doing a lot more when this episode comes out, to be fair. But I've to play a show called Extreme Improv. It's a lot of short form games, so a lot of like silly challenging games, like questions only, where you just always ask questions, or one syllable questions only, where each word you say is one syllable, which is awful because obviously as as both wordsmiths that we are we love doing describing and convoluting syllables uh so i'm really bad at that game but one of the other games um i used to play it's changed a little bit now uh, is revenge of the werewolf which is essentially a social deduction game where one player is the werewolf and everyone else has to work out who it is uh, but i'm actually doing a few more improv courses i'm hoping one of my uh, new year's resolutions is to direct my own improv show so i'm sure i'll be plugging all that when it comes out and yeah pretty much me and of course i keep forgetting that obviously we'll have our own thing coming up as well with pantheon yes pantheon where we are there are five of us and each one of us are going to take turns to dm over 20 levels well hopefully we all survive that long um <laughs> so yeah there's me and fiona and three of our friends matt d and john that we're going to be coming together and hopefully we'll start putting episodes out, I, I guess, February, March? Ooh, I, I, I don't put timelines on things, but yes, possibly. <laughs> Watch this space. Watch this space. Well, until next time, friends, thank you so much for listening. And we'll see. Talk, I'll never, I, I don't know how to end these podcasts here. I think you'll understand this, but thank you so much for listening. <laughs> yeah. Okay, bye for now. Bye. <laughs>